0: Well, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And if you've been here, then you probably know what we're about to do as we uh, are beginning the Sermon on the Mount these several weeks here, uh, focusing on just the Beatitudes. I'm going to pause that for a moment here. I also need to dismiss the kids at this time. Rookie mistake. Kids, you are dismissed uh, for worshipers and training. I was also supposed to... Oh, wait, No! I'm doing this all wrong. The kids are supposed to stay for the reading. That's okay. You're already on the way. You might as well go. (laughs) Might as well go. We wanted the kids to be able to stay in here and experience our reading this together. So we'll get that right next week. Uh, Anyway, what we're doing throughout this series, uh, we're spending one Sunday on one specific beatitude. And yet, at the same time, we are reading all the beatitudes together. Uh, And we're doing that together as a congregation. So what I want to ask you to do now is actually stand and to read these words along with me from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. They will be on the screen for us to read. Would you read along with me? It says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, Let's turn to the Lord and ask for his help this morning, uh, because he knows, and now all of you do as well, that uh, I surely need it. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would grant all the goodness of your word to come into our lives, not with any kind of pretense, but with power, with great assurance that even now we're being guided into the truth through your spirit. God, use your word to to strengthen us that we might walk in, in joyful obedience, Carrying out your will for our lives, not by our own power, but by your power, and for the life of our church. All, God, all flowing from faith in your Son Jesus, confident in his love, and full of hope that one day, finally, we will all be partakers of the inheritance of light that is ours together, along with all the saints. Through Christ Jesus we pray, amen. Keep calm and carry on. I'm guessing that you've probably seen that phrase somewhere, perhaps written on a poster or like a t-shirt or a a coffee mug. There have been some variations of that. Uh, I've seen like the baby onesie that says, keep calm and change me. More recently, you may have seen the "Keep calm and wash your hands." My favorite is "Keep calm and keep calm and call Batman." But all of those emerged from that original slogan, "Keep calm and carry on." It's actually kind of interesting that that slogan would rise to popularity in our day, in light of where it first originated. It actually goes all the way back to Great Britain in World War II, as the nation anticipated and braced themselves for uh, attack by German forces. The, the Ministry of Information published three different posters that were designed to, to strengthen the morale of, of the public. One of them said this, freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. Another said, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring victory. Neither quite as catchy, I don't think. And the third one was, keep calm and carry on. But that third one was never actually sanctioned for public use. Instead, it was actually, it was put in storage, put on hold. They wanted to wait. They wanted to wait and only use that poster after any serious attack had taken place. But it never actually came out of storage. Public response to the first two posters was actually pretty bad. People felt like they were... They were being talked down to by this, this ministry of information. They felt like the, the difficulties and challenges of war were being minimized. And so the posters were, were scrapped. They were recycled and pitched and thrown away. They were never actually used. The public never saw them until the year 2000 when a bookstore owner was rummaging through a box of used books and found an old poster, an original. So we put it on display in the bookstore, and as people came and they commented on this poster, they made copies and sold them, and, well, the rest is also history. I find it interesting that a saying, once lost to history for for fear that people wouldn't like it, would later become so popular that people would actually pay for it, a saying that was born in the face of unprecedented war, would rise to popularity during unprecedented peace. I guess it makes sense. It's a lot easier to say keep calm and carry on when no one's attacking you. That slogan, believe it or not... Not only the slogan itself, but even its history that bears some resemblance to the beatitude that we're looking at together this morning. Partly because the true message of this beatitude, the beatitude that we're looking at this morning is is a message that's almost lost to us today. Its original meaning, I mean, it must be one of the most overlooked, if not the most overlooked and misunderstood of all the Beatitudes. But even more to the point, the actual message of what Jesus is saying here in this Beatitude is actually something kind of like keep calm and carry on. Here in this beatitude, Jesus is actually inviting us to live a kind of life where you and I actually can keep calm and carry on no matter what actually comes our way. Listen, I want you to know right up front this morning that right here in this short, brief beatitude, this description of the kind of life that that Jesus is inviting us into, right here we actually Find the secret of how you and I can actually do that and actually live a life like that. And if I can say it in a rather wordy way, which is kind of what we're doing throughout this series, we're taking each of these Beatitudes and kind of using more, intentionally using more words than we might need to really help communicate the idea behind each of these Beatitudes. So if I could say it in a rather wordy way, What Jesus is saying this morning is this, the truly happy person, like the truly happy person is the one who is so secure in all that they have in Christ that they never get offended or provoked when wronged, but remain calm and Christ-like. That's the vision that Jesus is actually putting before us today. The truly happy person is that person who is so secure, so confident in and trusting in all that they have been given, all that they have been freely given in Christ that they don't, they never get offended, they never get provoked, they never get reactionary even when they're wrong, but they can can remain calm and Christ-like. They can keep calm and carry on. That is in essence what Jesus means when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Listen, you'd be right to wonder right now, like, wait a minute. How do you get all that from those ten words right there? Listen, remember, remember what Jesus is actually trying to get done in these Beatitudes. The overall vision of what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's inviting us into a a compelling, a new and compelling vision for real human flourishing. This is a vision of the good life. We can even say that Jesus is painting a picture for how to be happy. Not not happy like in the like the whimsical kind of fleeting feelings kind of sense, but I mean like truly deeply, like unshakably happy in this world. And in this beatitude, everything, everything about the happiness, the true blessedness that Jesus is holding out for us and calling us into, everything hinges on this one word, this virtue of meekness. All of it does. So what I want to do this morning is simply just unpack this idea of meekness so that you and I can actually kind of hear and picture and imagine and grasp the actual life that Jesus is calling us into to experience and to to live out together as a church. And so to do that, I just want to ask two questions this morning. What does this actually mean to be meek? And then how do we actually get there? How do we actually become meek? So the first question is, what does it even mean to be meek? I think meekness is like a, a lost virtue in our day. I mean, how can, we, how can we foster meekness if we don't actually know what it means to be meek? And I've asked that question of so many people in the last few weeks. Just asking people, like, what's, in your opinion, what do you think it means to be meek? What is meekness? I've been surprised by how commonly it is perceived as a negative thing. I came across a particular online conversation this past week, and I don't want to make any of you afraid to like say things on social media that I might see and put in a sermon, but hey, if you put on social media, it's fair game, I guess. I came across this conversation where some of you were kind of soliciting some, some definitions, and here's some of what I saw. Meek means timid. It means reserved, shy, submissive in a negative way, quiet, weak. And one person even went so far as to say specifically that they would not take it as a compliment if someone described them as meek. And listen, friends, if that's actually what meekness means, well, then I have to say that I too am not interested. But none of those things actually portray what real meekness is. Meekness doesn't mean weak, shy, timid, quiet. People who are those things, and some people just are more naturally those things, but people who are those things are no more likely to be meek than people who are outspoken, strong, loud, and assertive. So what is meekness? Well, if you had to define meekness in a vacuum, I think one of the best definitions is strength under control. I actually got that from Jackie Brockhausen. She's got a t shirt that she wears that actually describes, says on there, it says meek weakness, or sorry, nope, strength under control. I think it's a fantastic definition. It's power. It's actually strength that is, that is intentionally reined in by self-control so that when that power or strength is, is used, it can be used in a way that's gentle, not in the sense of weak, but in the sense of that it doesn't actually cause any harm to anybody else when it is applied or used. That's in essence what it means to be meek, and that's the best definition in a vacuum. You might be wondering, like, why do I keep saying in a vacuum? The kids are probably wondering, like, why is this word meek getting sucked up into a vacuum cleaner? When I say in a vacuum, I mean, like, outside of any specific context. If you're just looking at the word meek and what it means into itself when it's not being used in a specific sentence, strength under control is probably the best definition. But here's the thing. There is a very specific context in which Jesus is using that word meekness right here. Like This beatitude is almost an exact quote of Psalm 3711, which says this, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. In Psalm 37, King David is essentially, he's, he's telling his people, he's giving them advice and, and counsel, he's challenging them, about how they should respond specifically in the face of wrongdoing as, as evildoers are coming into the land, even, even threatening their peace in the land. And this is David's advice all throughout Psalm 37. I'm going to kind of go through this pretty quick just so you can hear the essence of what it means from King David's perspective to be meek. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. See, the picture that is being painted in Psalm 37 is that meekness is a virtue that can only actually really be forged in the face of wrongdoing. Listen, it's not a call to to defenselessness. It's not a call to be a doormat. It's not a call to to allow yourself or anyone else around you to be abused in in any sort of way. But this meekness is is a call to respond with calm restraint trusting in God, not fretting, not or not fretting, but still doing good in the face of evil, committing your way to God, waiting on him, refraining from being reactionary when everything that's coming at you from those who are around you is tempting you to be reactionary. One of the clearest illustrations in the Bible of this kind of meekness actually comes from the life of Moses, I probably wouldn't actually be tempted to kind of look for this kind of an example of a character in the Bible if it wasn't for the fact that in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it actually says this, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. So like when Numbers is telling you that, it actually like interrupts the story that is being told in Numbers 12 to tell us that. So like, This is clearly an example, a demonstration of what it actually means to be meek. You know what happens in Numbers chapter 12? I'll give you the gist of it. Moses' two siblings. So This is people that are like really close to him. Like his brother and his sister, Miriam and Aaron, sister and brother. They don't like his new wife. Like that's actually the context of what's going on in Numbers 12. Like Moses' first wife dies. He remarries. And they don't like her. So what do they do? Because they don't like her, they begin to call into question Moses' actual calling as a prophet, as someone who can speak for the Lord. So like, just think about that for a moment. Like, How is that for a picture of human conflict? I don't like this thing over here. So I'm going to go and attack this other thing over here that has nothing to do with this other thing that I actually don't like. But if I attack this, it's going to hit you even harder. I'm going to actually attack and criticize you at the very level of your calling and character and person. This is Moses, who God personally appeared to. And he's like, I am going to speak through you. And they begin calling that into question. Do you know how Moses responds? probably not going to like this, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't say, how dare you question my ministry when the Lord himself called me to do this? He doesn't say, how dare the two of you, I mean, my own family members, like, The two of you are supposed to be my number one supporters in this. How dare the two of you go and have this conversation behind my back criticizing me? He doesn't say, how dare you have a problem with my wife? He doesn't say any of that stuff. And again, don't make or don't mistake his lack of response for weakness. I mean, this is the same Moses who, when he is told to by God, he can draw battle lines. I mean, he drew battle lines when the people of Israel made the golden calf and worshipped it. He is not weak. He's just not going to flex to defend himself. Because he's confident. Not self-confident, but he's confident that he knew. He knew the Lord appeared to him in that flaming bush and called him Moses didn't even want to go God had to talk him into it God had to keep assuring him again and again and again no trust me no I know you're not qualified but you're the guy I've chosen to do this I'm going to be with you I'm going to help you every step of the way he was confident enough in what God had called him to that he doesn't need to respond by defending himself you know what happens The Lord himself comes down and calls Miriam and Aaron on the carpet. He's like, oh, you're going to challenge my choice of who I've chosen to speak through? And I'll condense the rest of the story. But essentially what happens is Miriam ends up being struck with leprosy. And it's Moses who goes and prays for her to be healed. And she is. That's what it means to be meek. It means you don't allow someone to provoke you. It means you don't go on the offensive when someone offends you. In fact, if you just get right down to it to be meek, is to be someone who doesn't get offended. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that means that we never have our feelings hurt, but I think this is a really important distinction that we need to make. Having your feelings hurt is not the same thing as being offended. Being offended is a response to having your feelings hurt. And being offended smuggles in this idea. It always smuggles in this idea of how dare you do that to me. Emphasis on the me. listen, taking offense, responding by being offended is always inevitably, inevitably going to lead to one of two things. One is the, the angry outburst. That's this kind of how dare you response that we've been talking about. You You kind of clap back, you attack back. Maybe the same thing that's done to you, you do right back in return. And listen, I'm sure, well, I'm sure of a couple of things. One, I'm sure we've all been there wish I could say that I could speak to you as one who's never done this, but that's not true, and you know that not to be true, but I'm also not speaking to anyone who also probably hasn't done this. You know that's not true. Listen, I know it feels justified in the moment. And not only does it feel justified, but it actually, it actually probably feels like a, like a strong response, like a show of strength is to, is to do the same thing right back. But if meekness is strength under control, then reacting in anger is actually weakness uncontrolled. But listen, the other reaction isn't the incendiary explosion of anger, it's the slow burn of resentment. Resentment is the quiet killer. Where someone does something to you, your feelings are hurt, you feel offended, and then you just begin to kind of almost, you almost nurture and feed these negative feelings towards somebody else just based on this perceived wrong. And over time, it just slowly chokes out a relationship. In some ways, it's almost more dangerous because it just never goes away. It's just always there. I'm guessing many of us probably tend towards one of those or the other, but any of us can be tempted to either, in either way, anger or resentment. They both result from feeling offended, and they're both absolute enemies of meekness. And it's just not how Jesus calls us to live. It's not how Jesus calls us and and invites us to live under his rule. And not only that, not only is it just not the way that Jesus calls us to live, it's a terrible way to experience life. It's a miserable way to experience life. And what Jesus is doing is inviting us, calling us out of all that into a much better way, a much better way of being He's inviting us to forsake all that and to enter into this this real blessedness that comes along with with meekness, this calm, powerful restraint and resolve to never take offense or be reactionary. How do you actually do that? How do you actually get that? Remember, that's the second question I want to answer this morning. How can we actually become meek? Listen, how you answer that question from this passage right here, that reveals what you think the entire purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is right here in Matthew's Gospel. Listen, Jesus is not saying to you and me this morning, you better be meek. He's not saying you better be meek or else, he's not saying, okay, listen, you need to reach down into your own sort of pool of inner spiritual resources and strength, and you had better just pull out this virtue of meekness all on your own. Friends, that would be nonsense. That would actually be nonsense to what Jesus has been doing so far in these Beatitudes. I mean, do you remember how Jesus began this whole thing? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and Jesus already told us he is not looking for the people who have it all together or who think they have it all together he's looking for the ones who know they don't and those are the ones that he wants to graciously give his kingdom to. And the only way that you and I are ever, are ever going to be able to be to be meek, the only way that you and I can ever foster and nurture this virtue of meekness is if we already understand that we are poor in spirit and we mourn our sin. In other words, it's like the the first two Beatitudes kind of create the create the necessary soil in our hearts from which this this meekness thing can grow. But listen, not only that, Jesus isn't just calling us to meekness based on the fact that, that we have nothing that we can offer ourselves anyway. He's actually calling us to meekness even based on the promise that is right here, this promise of an inheritance. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Remember, as I said before, this is a quote, almost an exact quote from Psalm 37. The whole point of Psalm 37 is to tell people, David, the king... The Messiah is telling his people, don't fret, don't return anger. Instead, wait patiently for the Lord to come. When the Lord comes, he is going to give you the land and establish peace in the land just as he had always promised. And here Jesus is taking that exact same idea, but he takes that and he he blows it up. Not in the sense of putting it away, but he like, he magnifies it. He's enlarging it. I mean, what could it possibly mean for Jesus to promise that the meek will not just inherit the land, but they will inherit the earth. I mean, what else could it mean other than a promise that we will enter into the new heavens and new earth, that final place of full and perfect blessedness and every other single thing, every other spiritual blessing and actual blessing, all the goodness that will come from entering into that new world, all will be ours. And that's what Jesus is actually saying should be the motivation for our meekness. Listen, be careful. Be careful that you don't see this as Jesus saying, if you are meek or meek enough, then I will give you this inheritance. Listen, it can't be that. That's the whole point of an inheritance. Inheritances aren't given to those who earn them or purchase them, They're given by the one who owns it. Which also tells you something about how Jesus sees himself. And even how he's inviting us to see him, even right here in this beatitude. He's making a statement about himself as the one who can promise this full inheritance of everything. Listen, friends, right here, as well as throughout the Sermon on the Mount, throughout the whole rest of the Gospel of Matthew, there's this this implication baked right into the whole thing that you must come to Jesus in order to get these things because Jesus is the one who can give them and who gives them graciously to those who come to him. Listen, Jesus is going to say this later in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. He's going to say these words. He's going to say, all things have been handed over to me by my father. That's an inheritance. All things. Like that's, that's everything. Jesus is in full possession of everything as this inheritance. It's been handed to him by his father. And he says in verse 28, now come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Rest, He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And that word right there for gentle is the exact same word that is translated meek right here in this beatitude. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, Jesus is meek. Yes, at the time of the writing of Numbers chapter 12, Moses had been the meekest man in all the earth. But now, now does not hold a candle to the meekness of Jesus. What Jesus is doing is nothing less than asking us. He's inviting us to follow him to follow him in his meekness. And listen, Jesus, Jesus in his meekness, he's not a pushover. He's not weak. No, Jesus stood up. Jesus stood up. Jesus stood up to the, to the devastating effects of the fall when he saw sickness and disease and he rebuked them. Jesus stood up to demons that oppressed people and he cast them out. Jesus stood up to temptation and stared it down and didn't give in. Jesus stood up to Satan himself and Satan had to walk away in defeat. Jesus stood up to sin itself on the cross and with strength strength and power reserved and under control. He went to the cross willingly in order to rescue his enemies. He stood up to death and death had to tap out and give up. Jesus is never weak. He was able to face all that and keep his cool and carry on with the mission that God gave him because he knew. Because he knew that his Father in heaven had given him all things and he could trust him. And he knew no matter what happened in the end, because the Father had given him all things, he knew that no matter what, everything would be fine. Everything would turn out in the end. And Jesus wants to give all that he has to all who come to him. And Jesus wants to share every bit of his inheritance with us so that we too can know that we have all things. And if we know we have all things, then we can have the strength The power, not inner strength, not self talk and self help and psyching ourselves up, but real strength based on the promise of God in Christ that He has given us all things. So we don't have to respond in anger or outburst. I mean, think about that. What's actually, at the end of the day, what is behind all that? I I know what it is for me, it's fear. Right? At the end of the day, when someone does something to you or threatens you or, or harms you or hurts your feelings and you, you're starting to feel like you're going to be offended, I mean, what is at the, the base of all that? It's, it's fear. You're afraid that you're going to lose face or lose recognition or lose some part of your, your self-image or identity or a relationship. We're going to lose power or control. At the root of all that is some kind of fear that we're not going to get something that we need. And what Jesus is saying is that through me and when you come to me and for everyone who comes to me, you will have everything that you need. So we never, we never need to respond out of fear. But we can be so completely, totally secure in Christ to be meek. Friends, Jesus is inviting us into a better way of life. The blessed life. A life free free from self-justifying reactive anger, life free of self-absorbed resentment, a life lived in the quiet, calm strength of knowing that all is ours in Christ even now. I think about those keep calm and carry on posters. What if they could have said, keep calm and carry on? Because the battle is already won, and all things are ours. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. God, you are the author of all real and genuine life, including the the blessed life so described here. In your word. Lord, would you cause the seed of this word to take root and root in our hearts? Would they would these words find a home in open, honest, receptive hearts this morning, God? Would you cause this word to, to grow up in us to, to bear real fruit, even the, the fruit of meekness in our lives together? As your people, God, only you can do this in us. We ask that you would and every single heart here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name.